Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by MarketingForAttorneys.com, helping attorneys and law firms clarify and upgrade their marketing and messaging by using the timeless power of story to help reduce reliance on pay-per-click advertising. Visit MarketingForAttorneys.com to book your free consultation today. My guest today is Nicole Schaefer. Nicole is a trademark attorney in Portland, Oregon. She also has ADD and feels very strongly about advocating for other attorneys with ADD. Nicole also practices fashion law, the only attorney in Portland to do. She practices alcoholic beverage law, including wineries, distilleries, and craft beverages, cannabis law, and gluten compliance law. She's also starting the first pet custody focused firm in the U.S., and has a popular blog and podcast called Eat the Monkey, You Asshole, about puppy training. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So I've got to know, you practice so many really cool different areas of law. What is your favorite type of law to practice? Definitely trademarks, and I I do enjoy all the other areas, obviously, and the fashion law is, is fascinating to me, but I would say my main passion is trademarks. So I'm, I would guess, is the fashion law side of things, is that actually fighting against like trademark trolls and, and stuff like that in, in the fashion and like textile industry? It can be, encompasses a lot of different stuff, protecting fashion designers and their brands or dealing, yeah, with stuff like that, infringement, licensing, just all kinds of issues. Yeah, I remember working as a summer associate in big law and I had some sort of fashion case and it was just like, oh, this person copied our fabric or something mm. like that. And you're just like staring at these photos yeah. of like very some very similar looking like patterns and then some very just, but it's just literally you're looking at like flowers on cotton and you're just kind of mm. like, seriously? I'm like, before that, I didn't even, I didn't even think that it could have even existed. It's okay. How hardcore are we going to go here? And it's, oh, this leaf looks like this leaf and this flower is in the same position. And it's just the nuances to it are so wild in terms of it's a sort of a huge gray area of law. And it's so randomly subjective. I kind of wonder like how might something like computer vision and AI refine and modify that area of law in the future. Interesting. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. You're right, it is a big gray area and doesn't really receive a lot of protection here in the U.S. Actually, it's just interesting to be in it because it's still evolving. And yeah, we'll see if the protections get better in the future, but I don't know. 
So for our listeners who are a little unfamiliar with IP, can you explain in your own terms what a trademark is and how it differentiates from things like copyright that people might be slightly more familiar with? Yeah, sure. It's actually a super common question I receive from clients. So essentially, trademarks are about brand recognition. So if you walk into a McDonald's, you're in a McDonald's because of how it's designed and it has the logo, all of that is essentially trademark. Yeah, protect your business name, your logo, your tagline, your product design, stuff like that, trade dress. And then a copyright, the best way to think of that is cop C for copyright stands for creative. It's anything creative, a painting, a book, a musical composition, art, oh, well, I already said painting, but yeah, essentially all artistic stuff. Awesome. And so why should business owners actually get a trademark? It's just super important because you don't want to be, let's say, five years into your business and get a cease and desist letter saying, I have that trademark, you can't use that name anymore. So for business owners, it's mostly about avoiding the avoiding having to rebrand at some point. But also when they pick a name, it, it helps ensure that they're not infringing on somebody else. So it's just overall, it's a good way to protect yourself and not steal somebody else's intellectual property. So what are the best practices for business owners just getting started? Maybe they're still picking a name, like how should they go about making sure they're not going to, you know, get sued later on? Yeah, great question. I am a trademark attorney. So my general first answer is have a trademark attorney run a comprehensive search for you. Even if you're not ready to actually get a trademark yet, if you are down to one or two names that you're in love with, just have a search done because that'll at least tell you whether you can actually use those names. Interesting. And so what should a business owner do if they're like, they need to rebrand either they just they want to rebrand or they need to rebrand because they've gotten a cease and desist. They'll just have to pick a new name and change everything. And it can cost so much money to do that. But if you if that is your situation, don't make the same mistake twice and have your new name that you choose be searched by a trademark attorney. So so if you're out there and you go out to dinner or something and you run into a brand and you realize they're infringing on your own, like how do you then go and try and solve that problem? So some people don't necessarily go after everyone who's using a similar name, but if the name is so similar that you think it's going to cause confusion and it's in the same industry uh, as what you have, then a cease and desist letter is, ge is generally the best way to deal with that. And part of having a trademark is the duty to defend it. Just something to be aware of. But again, some people don't get super, you know, crazy about that and go after everyone. So it kind of just depends on your personal view of how much competition that's going to be. So for like small business owners with less money, is it possible for them to just write their own cease and desist letters? Do those even have any oh, legal yeah. force? Absolutely. I actually sell templates for that on my website because 
I think it's really important for people to be able to do these things on their own. And you can definitely send one out without an attorney and it still holds the same weight because you're essentially saying, stop this or I will go get an attorney and sue you or whatever. So yeah, I think people can definitely do those themselves. And so I think implicit in what you're in a little bit of what you're touching on there is essentially like access to justice, equal exactly. access to legal services. And could you talk a bit about like how important that is in general and maybe how important that is to your own practice of law? In general, I think it's very important. But yeah, to me specifically, I am a big proponent of access to justice. I think that a lot of legal stuff is seen as this elitist documents and things that people can't understand and shouldn't be able to do on their own. But I uh, strongly believe that if we educate people and we give them access to these things like cease and desist letters, they can do it. It's not taking business away from me. It's just helping people be able to take care of themselves in an affordable way. So. Right. And really, if it's a customer that wouldn't be able to afford you or another attorney anyways, it's not like it's stealing business exactly, from you. It's exactly. actually, in some cases, if it's something like you are doing some sort of like low bono or you're doing selling templates or like other things like that, like it is actually another revenue stream in a way for you to still make money while still right. providing value for people at a different tier. Exactly. And that is my business model in general is Yes, I have a regular law practice where I have clients who can't afford to hire me as a trademark attorney, whatever, for whatever their needs are. But I also want to be able to serve people, creatives, people who can't necessarily afford that level. And so part of what I'm trying to do right now actually is start a sliding B, a law firm based on the poverty guidelines. So that's a side project. But yeah, I just feel very strongly about this stuff. So. No, thank you. That's very important work. I worked in, when I was in law school, worked in several different legal services organizations and stuff. And it is such a overlooked part of society, but it's so important because it's serving overlooked parts of society. Yeah, for sure. So I'm wondering if this is a, an Oregon specific thing, but I've never heard of gluten compliance law. Is this a local thing or is this, I'm guessing it would be emerging beyond that, Oregon's pretty progressive in a lot of ways. So is, is that something that got there? It's start up there? How is that? I made it up. I don't actually know if it is mm -hmm. a thing per se, but the rules for gluten compliance literally just changed. And I could tell a lot of business owners were struggling to understand the new rules. So essentially, I wanted to provide someone they could talk to if they're just like, I don't understand this new administrative rule. Can you explain it to me? And that was the idea behind it. So Oh, fascinating. You're a pioneer. I love it. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so is this essentially, is this just for like restaurants to be in compliance? Is it also for like food manufacturers or how broad yeah. is the scope here? Mostly restaurants and food manufacturers are the ones who are going to have to be dealing with this new rule. And so it's, yeah, it's mostly those groups that I'm helping with that. And so is this essentially like an ADA thing or like how did this come into being? Well, yeah, funny, I do help people with ADA compliance on their websites as well, but it's similar. It's just like more about certain foods are going to have to be included on labels now and you just have to 
be aware that more foods are are not gluten-free or not considered and and so it's just stuff like that where they'll they have to change their definition of gluten-free so oh fascinating wow yeah i could imagine that definitely becoming like a big thing and you'll be like speaking at conferences about <laughs> your gluten compliance law That's maybe awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you done uh, on the cannabis law side of things uh, in the state of not a ton yet there are a lot of people doing that here so i think it's difficult to stand out necessarily but i have helped a couple of people with cannabis trademarks, stuff like that. I'm hoping to expand into more of that in the future. But as I said, lots of competition here. So, Oh, definitely. And is that similar to your work in alcohol? Is that like a lot of trademark for like new craft beverage brands, things like that? Yeah, it's a lot of trademarks and, and regulatory stuff. So especially with the alcoholic beverage stuff, it's a lot of Here's how you have to label them and here's all the licenses you're going to need and here's all the contracts you should have in place and stuff like that. And so I think they do overlap in those ways a lot. Lots of regulatory aspects. Oh, very cool. So I have to ask you about this pet custody focused <laughs> firm you're going after. And obviously every state has way different rules right some yes. states are basically like pets are family and then other right. states are like pets are property and then other states are just like pets are animals like what who gives you know who cares and so i'm i'm curious to know like what's the sort of dynamic in oregon and what are you looking to accomplish with this i think if i'm not mistaken right now oregon is still essentially like animals are property but they have slightly more you it's know, than your couch <laughs> yeah slightly more rights more in the criminal area if you mm. hurt an animal it's now considered a victim stuff like that but in terms of divorce custody and stuff it's still property and but i read something that said if you run across something three times it's a sign that you should pursue it and I kept running into pet custody. People were calling me saying, I need a pet custody contractor, blah, blah, blah. And so this light bulb went off and I was like, I wanna start the first firm in the country that's just focused on pet custody stuff. And I wanna do divorce coaching for pet custody. I wanna do mediation for pet custody. I wanna do collaborative divorce for pet custody and do pet custody contracts and pet trust because you'll have to change your pet trust if your custody situation changes. That's really what it is, just trying to become a pet custody expert, just have a firm that's all about that. Oh, fascinating. It's it's interesting that you brought that up because I was just back home on vacation in New Hampshire and ran into an old friend from high school and she had gotten divorced in the past couple of years and mm -hmm. they had a pet that a dog that they were going to have like joint custody of, which like, uh -huh. I don't think I had ever heard of a couple like saying <laughs> that or going down that road. Um, and then she said it basically quickly devolved into just like, he didn't mm -hmm. give a shit. And she now has like full custody of the pet. <laughs> but it's interesting that it is something people I think like overlook, right? And you're like, if you have kids, you might obviously be thinking about what that dynamic is going to be but mm -hmm. i haven't heard of people really reflecting on pet custody but it is like a thing right unless one of the spouses like had the pet before in most cases like it's probably oh it's our pet and it's like how do you resolve that and exactly. yeah that's a really fascinating fascinating dynamic
It, yeah, it has been super interesting with my clients to see that a lot of them were not married, but they got a pet and then it's, they fell in love with the pet and now they want to just spend time with it. And it is a weird situation because it's, okay, so you're going to trade this animal off like one week at a time. It's, I don't know, it is quite interesting. Yeah, like <laughs> it is essentially like all the exact same dynamics as children, exactly. but without 90% of the awareness. It, and, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, the <laughs> animal has no idea what's happening. I sometimes feel bad because I'm like, should you be doing this to animals? Because they, they literally have no concept of anything really in terms of that at least yeah, they're just like oh every time you come home to your pet it's like the first time they've seen you again <laughs> in 10 years right? yeah there you go that's totally different they're then they're like, like oh you're home whatever yeah i don't give a shit go away yeah. you, exactly you two, you two should have gotten divorced years ago right? yeah don't talk to me <laughs> they're just they're just silently judging us anyways. oh all the time <laughs> So tell me a little bit about your podcast, Eat the Monkey, You Asshole. Like, where did you get that name from? I love it. And tell me about your approach to like puppies. So we, I was living with my mom for a while and I'm now in an apartment, but I was living with her and she decided to get a yellow lab puppy and we hadn't had a puppy in a while. So we forgot what they were like. And we got this adorable puppy. He's a great, and now he's a great dog, but he was biting us all the time. And so we got him all these toys and stuff. And one day I think I was in the kitchen and he bit my ankle and I just said, go eat the monkey, you asshole. And, and then I decided to write a book about it and to like a series of short essays talking about funny stories from the dogs and how to raise puppies. And so, then it turned into a podcast because it was not a very long book. I'm still working on it. But but anyway, I guess my puppy raising thing is just positive reinforcement, but also lots and lots of laughing. Because if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. And, and they're cute. <laughs> my other big slogan is they're cute so we don't kill them. Because, yeah, they're... Lots of times that I just want to kill my dogs. Oh, they can be a they can be a handful, and they can mm -hmm. hard to understand most of what's going on. But exactly. <laughs> so, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? <sighs> yeah, I refer to myself as the the second chance kid because I've dealt with that a lot in my life, being waitlisted at college or not getting in to a place the first time or something. And I'm very stubborn. So I guess my favorite was I wanted to go to Scripps College and I was waitlisted and I just bugged the crap out of them. And I basically said, you need to take me because I, I want to be here and I'm not giving up. And so I managed to get in as a spring semester student, but just things like that. And I think it's taught me not to give up on stuff so quickly. So. Oh, that's a lot of persistence right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very stubborn. Yeah, no, I didn't get into, I was basically raised to go to Notre Dame. My parents mm -hmm. met there. My grandparents mm -hmm. met there. I watched Notre Dame football every single weekend with my dad growing up and didn't get in there out of high school. And I was like, oh, and only applied to one other school. Like my girlfriend at the time was going to and didn't 
was the only reason I applied there <laughs> and even had the application and didn't really want to go there. And so I ended up taking, I found like a post-grad school up in Maine that basically owned, that's all it was. Like they just taught grade 13 and it was actually largely for kids who couldn't pass like the couldn't meet the standards of NCAA clearinghouse. Like mm -hmm. they might have like, on the old SATs with like a 1600 max, like they might have like under an 800 score or might have like too low of a GPA to go to a college. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because if you actually had a learning disability, like I had probably 50% of the school population had ADD, ADHD, mm -hmm. or some other learning disability. And what I didn't know until I got there was that if you have a learning disability and you take an extra year, uh, your GPA can actually be cumulative to your high school GPA. Whereas oh, like myself, cool. like it was just like an extra year to try and get into college, which I eventually got in Notre Dame, like through Yay. there. Cause it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You sacrificed another year of your life to come mm -hmm. here, but I maybe should have just harassed them via email <laughs> a little more. On the yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> I tell everybody who's on wait list, bug them, call them like so many times they know you everything about you like email them it works so get them to just want you to shut the hell up exactly <laughs> exactly i'm pretty sure that's why they let me in they're just like oh god please leave us alone we'll see we'll interact with this person less if we actually let them into our school exactly, right? exactly. i don't this is for the teachers to deal with admins yeah. let's do this nice nicole what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life Ooh. That's a good one. Woo. All right, let me think. I do like to read a lot. I would say the books that influenced me the most were A Tale of Two Cities, which oh, I read in high school and I just amazing. absolutely loved it. Yeah, Sorry. maybe, oh gosh, that is just hard. I'm trying to, I'm going through my head like, ah, maybe Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. That just really, I loved everything about that. And I don't know, I guess maybe Influence, read hmm. that in law school. Oh yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Definitely. I don't think, I, I knew a lot of people like read it in business school and like for marketing and stuff. I don't think I knew anyone that like read it in law school, but that's. Yeah, yeah. We, I took a negotiation really class. So, oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, mm -hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. There's really not enough negotiation in law school. There, mm. There's like the one course and maybe what, like a, at best, like a sixth of the population gets to take that course. Exactly. To me, that's like more important than property or wills and trusts, right? There's so many random things. It's just, okay, like you should probably <laughs> learn to do negotiations. To me, it's essentially as important as like your legal writing course in your right. first year. Yeah. And you do learn, you learn so many satellite skills when you do like negotiation and just learning more empathy and just being able to like, yeah, kind of dive into what influence is all about, right? Just basic human mm -hmm. psychology. How many kids actually show up to law school? Unless you majored in psych in undergrad, <laughs> like most people have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to human brain and human right. personality and everything. So yeah, for sure. It's a great yeah. set. So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they <laughs> help or inspire you? Uh, so, okay. Tina Fey is one nice. of my, my main yeah, I am obsessed with her. Love. Yeah, I uh, find I was in New York and I was like, can I figure out where she lives? Not in a creepy way, but I just like, I love the woman. And I think she just really taught me that it's okay to be smart. It's okay to not, or to use your intelligence and not be ashamed of that. Because I think a lot of girls are taught that at an early age. Oh, don't be too smart. So it, it was just really nice to see this woman who was like, Psh. Yeah, I'm smart. Deal with it. I would say my other obsession is Pink, the singer. I 
absolutely adore everything she does. I stalk her on Instagram. I've seen all her, <laughs> all of her music videos. I just adore that woman. Yeah. Very cool. Those are two of the most like unique and random answers. Not totally random, obviously. Like they're pretty prominent people, but yeah. But kind of opposite from each other. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it's a great dichotomy. I'd love to see some sort of like Pink and Tina Fey collaboration. How did they not do like an SNL episode together? Pink, Pink was, probably got out yeah. of it by that time, but. Yeah, I think Pink was just on it at times at that, times that Tina Fey was not, unfortunately. But. Yeah. So in the last five years, uh, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I would say, and this sounds really new agey and whatever, but Go I would say it. just, <laughs> I would say just being grateful made a huge difference because it changed how I look at things now. I'm, I'm more like, if, even if something's going wrong, I'm like, but look at all the stuff that's going right. And, and it makes you pay attention more. So I think it just helps me stay grounded and, and be thankful. No, I love that. I think that's it, it's really those simple things that if like people just improved those little fundamental easy things, life would be so much better. It goes so far. So yeah, we're all about new agey over here. Most of the conversations have devolved into either spirituality, consciousness, the nature of reality or psychedelics or something along those oh, okay. lines. So we cover it all right. No yeah. holds barred. Like we don't care. So Nicole, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to take the word investments as broadly as you like. Ooh. Okay. In terms of an actual investment, I invested in Amazon a few years ago, just on a whim, and that one has actually gone pretty well. Nice. But in terms of a broader sense, I think just investing in myself and being okay with taking a class because it sounds interesting or whatever just being okay with that is has been huge what advice would you give to a smart driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world and is there any advice you think they should ignore i would ignore anyone who says you can't do that you're not going to make a living off of it because i think i would have made very different decisions if my mom, or not my mom, she's great, but and very supportive. A lot of grown-ups were like, you can't do be an artist. That's not a way to make a living. Or you can't be an actress, like whatever. And I think if you are passionate about something, do it and you'll find a way to make it work. And mm. so, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere <laughs> with anything on it, what would it say and why? I'd probably say, I don't know, that's hard. I think it would maybe just say, I want to go to there because that's like my favorite Tina Fey thing, something <laughs> like that, something from 30 Rock or probably my other favorite quote, which is stop eating that stale French fry pigeon. Don't you can fly. So <laughs> yeah, we, I say that a lot. So It's like lemon, it's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, good God, lemon. <laughs> So how have you found mentors and advisors throughout your career? It's hard, but I've um, been fortunate to find people who wanted to help younger attorneys. And some of that has been through Facebook. Some of it has just been chance meetings. And people are like, oh, I know someone who would be awesome to take you under their wing. But I would say it is hard to find people who have time to do that. Definitely. Yeah. 
So what are some bad recommendations that you hear in your profession and area of expertise? I don't know. I, it's hard to say, but I think just anybody who's like, who tells someone, oh, you can't get that trademark just because somebody else has it. I think a lot of times people are missing stuff like, oh, it's in a different class, so you could actually get it. I, I just feel like a lot of people are very close-minded, so... I think that's where most of the bad advice comes. So in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Crazy people who want my help. We all get those calls from clients that are a little bit special. And I definitely would have spent more time with them before trying to listen to them and, and talk to them. And now I'm just like, I can't help. Nobody can help you who's a lawyer. Just boundaries. It has been a big thing. Oh, they're so important. Yeah. So are there any quotes you think of often or that you live your life by? Yeah, again, this is going back to my idols, but Pink has a lot of songs that resonate with me. And so I'll often find myself just like having one of her song lyrics in my head and it kind of helps me feel strong or whatever. And I also really, I'm mostly peace and love with a little bit of go fuck yourself. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's very, yeah, explains me pretty well. It's yeah, me <laughs> too. captures yeah. my essence pretty well. It pretty much captures me too. <laughs> yeah, I was, I came up with a term because I was always like, I always want to be a nicer person. I want to be a kinder person. But like, I grew up in the Northeast. There's just part of me growing up as an Italian in <laughs> New England. It's just, there's a part of me that's just like always going to be a sarcastic asshole. And so then I was just like, how do I, you know, marry these two sort of <laughs> feelings within myself and then I came right. up with oh really I'm like a benevolent asshole and that's I want to help people but if you're being stupid like I'm also just going to put you in your place or like exactly. if I go and help a company exactly. or if I'm like coaching a CEO or something like that I'm just going to be like hey why did you fuck this what are you doing <laughs> like I'm not here to like massage people's egos and everything I'm just here to right. fix things like I don't exactly. really care <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah but. that's exactly how I am I am yeah, I don't have patience for for a lot of stuff, but I also am nice to people and I come from a place of, yeah, you're a person too and I'm going to treat you that way. But if you're, if you do something stupid, I'm, I'm going to tell you. So. Oh yeah, like I'm going to call you out on your shit and we're going to fix mm -hmm. it. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Always good to meet another benevolent asshole. Nicole, what are some of your other go-to like self-care strategies, tactics, and techniques? Yeah, I exercise every day. I play Just Dance as much as possible because I love doing that. I watercolor paint. I play with my cats and, or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> just a variety of things. So did you like take, have you taken like watercolor lessons or you just are like dabble in it like occasionally like no, self-taught um, kind of thing? When the pandemic started, I was like, oh shit, I, I, I need something because... I uh, can't just do law and like read all the time. I need something else. And I discovered this company called Let's Make Art and they sell these watercolor kits and you can watch these tutorials and then do the painting. And so I just got into that and I'm still doing that. So, oh, wow. yeah, it's really yeah, fun. I Oh, totally. Like, I love painting. I got into oil painting two or three years ago. It was like very therapeutic. And there's something yes. like something about the heaviness of like oil and like dragging mm, it across can, and the yeah. way it like combines. So I tried like <laughs> acrylics and I was just kind of like, it's too easy to move the paint. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. just like a weird, it's too light or something. But then 
TikTok really got me hooked on some different like spray paint artists. Oh, cool. And they would just do almost someone was like, oh, this guy is the Bob Ross of like spray paint art or something. He'd just be like, okay, like here's how you're going to do it and put this here. And I was like, I'm like watching the tutorial. I'm like, this is awesome. But then I was like, I think I can do this. I was like, it's not. It's just really like a lot of spray painting is really like restraint and Mm -hmm. an order of operations. It's growing up spray painting or something. I just spray paint as much on anything. It just gets all drippy and everything like that. But it's if you can really learn the proper restraint and like the dusting motions and different techniques, uh, you can do some really cool stuff. And then it's just, oh, okay, get some different cool stuff to lay down. And you can make some outer space art, you can make some whatever else you want to do. And it's it's so fun, especially when you're doing something where like you have a lot of like objects Mm -hmm. on on the canvas. And then you like pull them off to reveal your painting. It's like a really cool <laughs> feeling. And then I'd gotten into, I'd done so many like oil paintings and like literally dozens and dozens ah. of them over the years, just in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that then I actually started selling some like the, like last year. And I was oh, like, awesome. oh, this is cool. I can actually sell a little bit of art. And, but then like the ones that wouldn't sell, I was like, what am I gonna do with these? And when I wanted to start spray painting, I looked into like, spray painting on canvas and it's Mm -hmm. you got to do all this stuff to like prep everything and i was just like yeah that doesn't sound like me (laughs) and uh, but then i was like wait a minute i'm pretty sure i can spray paint over the oil paint and so Mm. i actually recently started doing that and it's been really cool because then you you can just make whatever pictures you want but cover things up and then you're like revealing like the the oil paintings underneath and i was like oh i love this so that's that's been my latest thing i'm really into that's super cool. You should try watercolor because there is something really nice about that as well because of the blooms and, and just how the paint has a mind of its own. I think that's the frustrating fun. thing to me. And but you, oh, captured sure, it, yeah. you captured it. You like it has a mind of its own. And, yeah. it, and even just like holding something with water in it, like mm. you have so little control over whether there's going to be like another drop <laughs> that escapes like on the way back uh-huh. to the paint or something and that's i let my have my kids do it they love like watercoloring <laughs> but it's something i'm just like i guess i've never watched someone like watercolor to teach me to watercolor i'm sure there's a, yeah some nuance that i could get into about it but yeah part of it i'm just like ah, uh, like what is going on here like i yeah. can't ever get it to do what i want whereas although like i am with oil painting i had started taking what we're going to become oil painting lessons but of course mm-hmm. like when you start real painting lessons you start off drawing because yeah. it's just drawing with a brush and i got maybe four weeks into that course and then the pandemic hit and they just, oh, shut, no. they just shut down the painting studio i was going to i was like oh no and up to that point all i had done was like abstract oil Mm -hmm. painting so i'll just throw the oil right on the canvas and then just paint it out and just see what the universe like brings and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like super cool and then sometimes it's just like meh whatever and then now i spray paint those ones (laughs) so it's got me like a good place for that but yeah like for oil paint i could definitely embrace the chaos of it it's just oh who knows what's gonna emerge from this right? right but at least it was still all there. And I like how oil paint like combines and into different colors and stuff like that. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I've heard that a lot from people who are just like, watercolor is too unpredictable. I can't handle it or whatever. I, I don't like it. And yeah, it has their own thing. But yeah, it probably at resistance probably just means it's like a thing I should do. It's like something like to like practice some patience or just like I don't know that feeling of letting go. Just be like, yeah. okay, fuck it, who cares? Just try it yeah. as uh, as Let's Make Art says. The worst thing that happens is you throw it away. Cause- Nicole, this has been such a fun and enlightening conversation, and that brings me to my last question of the day. 
and that is what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you oh <laughs> wow that is so hard i i don't know i guess my fiance he does a bunch of little cute things he'll make sure the cat comes out in the morning to see me like I'll literally push her out from under the couch and just things like that it's really sweet and I would say that's it's stuff like that that just makes such a huge difference so it's all about the little things yeah thank you so much for joining me today Nicole it's been a pleasure getting to speak with you yeah same thank you for having me oh absolutely anytime So today's episode was brought to you by marketingforattorneys.com. If you're an attorney looking to grow your law firm and ditch the crowded field of pay-per-click advertising, then visit marketingforattorneys.com to book your free consultation today. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.slash theluepodcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness.